last Wednesday, when I wanted to crawl into the bed and pull the covers up over my face, our cross-the-street neighbors, the Dela Cruzes, were playing badminton in the middle of the street. I watched them as they dashed across the gray asphalt, looking as if, looking as if they were on the freshly manicured lawn of Wimbledon. And as I listened to their raucous laughter, I swear I imagined that they were playing on the white sands at Destin. What a tremendous difference between the Dela Cruzes and me. Uh, there I was, settled into the darkness, into the uncertainty of this time, into the things I couldn't do, and there they were, basking in the light. The incongruity of my life and theirs um, arrested me in no small way. And this was intensified by what I knew from just a couple of days before. Just a couple of days before, all five of the Dela Cruzes descended on a yard, a lawn, a, a block north of us. One of our neighbors, Bob, had to have emergency surgery. I know, what a time for that. And while he was recovering in this overcrowded hospital with, you know, all sorts of problems and fears, the Dela Cruzes did all of his yard work. They didn't ask. They didn't blow a trumpet or an oboe before them, uh, but they went and they just did it. They spent 12 hours on his yard. Now, let me put this in perspective for all of us. The Dela Cruzes include Mama Dela Cruz, Julie, and she's an assistant principal at, in the Poteet school system. There's Daddy Dela Cruz, who for a long time was manager of a CVS drugstore and now mainly does uh, mediation. There's oldest son, Dela Cruz, Emmanuel, who is a junior at university. There is daughter, Dela Cruz, Isabel, and she is a senior at Incarnate Word High School, uh, and she's already been accepted multitudinous places, including Duquesne. She's an exceptional student. And then there's Samuel at Central Catholic as a sophomore so handsome that he would put Tom Cruise to shame. All five, college, college son, high school kids, working in the yard for someone they barely know. Bob called me at the office, when we still could be in the office, Bob called me in absolute astonishment. He said, Pat, you won't believe what's happened. My yards never looked this good. <laughs> and so it is. You know, the thing that really gets me is um, the fact that the Dela Cruzes had the courage just to be outside. But what really, what really grabs me is that they had the courage, they had the absolute courage to get outside of themselves. And I just wonder how they did that. You know, as I, as I watched them uh, uh, playing along the pavement, 
Uh, every time a car would come, they'd have, to, they'd have to take down the net and march it across to one curb or the other. And they had to keep on rescuing, you know, rescuing uh, the, uh, the birdie from the gutter. And then, then uh, they would be, you know, they would be swatting it at, at, at thin air like we so often do and doubled over with laughter. And I realized they were basking in the light. And I, I had situated myself in the shadows. I had situated myself in the shadows. So how did they do that? How did they do that? Well, Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians. You know, Paul knew this group of Christians in Ephesus better than anyone, any other Christians of any church he started because he spent more time there. <laughs> Not exactly voluntarily. Okay, he was imprisoned there for two years. So he really did, he really did stay there, overstay his welcome. But there he was, and he got to know them well. And therefore, he could be candid with them. I know that Scott particularly likes uh, this letter. And in the fifth chapter, um, Paul, in very stark language, says, You once were darkness. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You once were darkness, and now you're light in the Lord. Now, that's not news to the Ephesians. They know what their lives were like before Jesus invaded them. They knew what their life was like. They, well, they were a lot like that sulking man at 209 West Rosewood Avenue, like me, you know, wondering, oh my, what are we going to do? And the Lord, the Lord absolutely captured captured the Ephesians with his light, and he began to transform them. So interesting that at the end of that little passage, uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah, two portions of Isaiah, which we believe the first Christians had turned into a hymn, a hymn that we have no music for. Sorry, Bob, no music for that one. But the hymn, at least one stanza of the hymn, went like this. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ's light will shine on you. I don't know what the tune is, but it grabs me pretty hard. Wake up, wake up, sleeper. Climb out from beneath those covers, and Christ's light will shine on you. This I know. This I know for a fact. If we submit to Christ... The darkness will evaporate. Actually, I actually believe the Lord sent the Dela Cruzes into the middle of the street to admonish me to get back where I belonged. You know, but the Lord will, will transfer us from the realm of darkness into the into light, he says in Colossians. And also I need to make this poignant point as well. Um, our faith in Christ is embodied. We, we do not just have a point of view as Christians. Put, put that aside. You can't just have a point of view as a Christian. As a Christian, we must have a whole new state of being. How we interact, how we talk, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, even when we're at, have a stay-at-home order. How we do all of that matters. 
Because God in Christ became a human being, God inhabited humanity, therefore God wants to inhabit you and me. And therefore, our life changes. And the lights switches turned on. You know, serendipitously, or I could say providentially, I've been reading a book by one of the most controversial psychotherapists in the world, uh, Jordan Peterson the great uh, lightning rod psychotherapist uh, from the University of Toronto. The book was given to me by another lightning rod, John Boyce, a former senior warden and dear friend. But Jordan Peterson, in his, in his best-selling book, 12 Rules for Life, Antidote for Chaos. Don't you love that title? 12 Rules for Life, Antidote for Chaos. He makes these three stark observations. Number one, we become what we aim for. We become what we aim for. Number two, um, our actions reveal our deepest desires. And number three, be brave enough to change what is wrong with you. Whoa. Now, as a Christian, I had to recalibrate these. So let me just share this in conclusion this evening. You and I become that which Christ aims us for. Wherever Christ aims us is what we'll become. He has promised. He has promised not just to be our Lord, but to be our guide, to be the good shepherd. He has plans for you and me. And they may not make it onto the front page of the newspaper, but he has plans. And he wants to aim us. And if we submit to him, he will be faithful to show us. Number two, uh, when Christ fills our lives, our actions will, will reveal his deepest desires for you and me. And I believe above all that he wants us to, wants us to love him back and to get outside of ourselves and love others. That's his deepest desire for you and me in whatever way, in whatever way that that occurs in your life. And finally, if we surrender, if we surrender to the love of Christ, he will fix what is broken in you and me. No one has to enumerate the stuff that still needs to be mended within William Patrick Gahan III. The Holy Spirit is revealing that to me, but I guarantee you Christ is doing something about it. Also know this, He will fix whatever's wrong with you, even during this time when perhaps you have huddled like I was uh, in in the shadows of your house. He will fix you. He'll make you stand up tall. And so tonight, this Wednesday night, My challenge to you and me is, let's pick up a racket. Let's pick up a rake and get outside of ourselves.